Well, I'm grateful to Crystal for giving the sermon today and uh, for giving us a great introduction to the prophet Jeremiah. And we are beginning a sermon series uh, really entitled God Is... dot 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 because we're talking about characteristics of who God is and the God who is revealed to us in Jesus Christ once we get to Advent and our Christmas season. And so uh, for me, kind of the question today is we did this great go deeper in in October and people uh, stayed together and studied together, but now what you're going to do What are you going to do for God and with God and with your community now that uh, this season of study together has come to an end? And so we are reading today from Jeremiah chapter 30. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, write in a book all the words that I have spoken to you, for the days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will restore the fortunes of my people Israel and Judah, says the Lord, and I will bring them back to the land that I gave to their ancestors, and they shall take possession of it. Thus says the Lord, I am going to restore the fortunes of the tents of Jacob and have compassion on his dwellings. The city shall be rebuilt upon its mound and the citadel set on its rightful site. Out of them shall come thanksgiving and the sound of merrymakers. I will make them many and they shall not be few. I shall not be disdained. Their children shall be as of old Their congregation shall be established before me, and I will punish all who oppress them. Their prince shall be one of their own. Their ruler shall come from their midst. I will bring him near, and he shall approach me. For who would otherwise dare to approach me, says the Lord? And you shall be my people, and I will be your God. This is the word of God for the people of God. So chapter 30 of the book of Jeremiah is part of what we call the consolation chapters. And it's not like the consolation prize for coming in second or whatever. It is the consoling presence of God, that God is still with these people no matter what may befall them. Because you see, the 29 chapters leading up to this passage of hope and restoration are about gloom and doom, about the impending disaster that is about to befall God's chosen people. These chosen people are about to find themselves conquered by the Babylonians and taken into exile, back into captivity. God once led these people out of captivity in Egypt, and now they are headed back into captivity. How in the world could this have happened to God's chosen people? Well, you kind of need to understand a little bit about the politics of the ancient world. And of course, 
Israel was a very small people. These people of God were not a numerous people, and they were surrounded by great nations, the Egyptians, the Philistines, the Assyrians, the Babylonians, and all of the ancient world was kind of like a game of risk in that they would conquer and be conquered. It was all about this kind of who is going to conquer who in the ancient world, and the only way the people of Israel could ever stand strong was by the power of the living God. But somewhere along the way, the people said, you know what, Uh, we're not sure that we just want God to be our king. We'd really like a human being, just like everybody else. God said, "I'm, I'm supposed to be the king of king and lord of lords, but all right, if you insist, I'm going to give you a king. Well, That didn't work out so well for them because after Saul and then David and Solomon, who were the great kings, what happened was this one chosen people of God split into the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah with two different kings. They wouldn't even stay together as one people. They became divided before the Lord God, divided in which king they wanted to follow. And more than that, their kings began to follow other gods. They began to take on the gods of the surrounding nations and to worship them. I mean, think about it. After all, wouldn't you rather have a god you can see and a god you can touch and a god you can control. And so these people begin down a slippery slope where they forget the commandments and the ordinances of God. They forget that God has brought them to the promised land, but their response is to continue to be faithful to the living God and to place God first in all things. And when they fail to do that, things begin to go terribly wrong. Now, oftentimes, you and I, we view this biblical narrative, the whole of the scriptures, as a story of God's faithful people. Of course, it is that, but uh, just as often... The Bible is a book of God's unfaithful people. The Bible is the stories of all those who have been disobedient to God and the way that God has remained steady and steadfast and present and calling to the people no matter what they do or where they go or how they stray, God does not change. God's covenant remains intact and God continues to call these disobedient people back. If you don't think that's the case in both the Old and New Testament, you need to dig a little deeper because these people they're a mess but add to that and I sometimes remind you of this we like to think of the Bible as a window that we peer through and we look at all these ancient peoples when in fact the Bible is a mirror and we should see ourselves reflected in it We, people, are a mess. And our hope, 
lies in the steadfastness, the steadiness, the promises of the living God who we are called to keep in front of us, to obey the commandments, to follow Christ, and things will go well for us as God's people. It doesn't mean things will always be perfect, but it means that we will be walking with God, that God will be our God. You know, several years ago when your first when your new pastoral team first got here, it seems in many ways that y'all were in exile. In exile. You were defeated. You didn't feel like you had hope. You felt like so much had happened to you that you didn't know what the future might hold. And yet, so many had left, but the ones who remained behind, I think of as the faithful remnant. The ones who stayed behind were more focused on the living God in this community than they were upon their own individual preferences and desires and enjoyment. The ones who stayed may have been in exile, but were a remnant that kept God before you all that time. You didn't let go of God. You see, whenever a people of faith, a community, which is a people meant to be in relationship, begins to divide and fall apart, that's when trouble begins to brew. If we as a people can continue to keep God before us, there is always hope. God promises to be our God. God promises to bring us forward. God promises us that there will be a good future. Now, in recent days, of course, I think most of us have felt like, well, we're, we're maybe not in exile anymore. We may still be a little bit in the wilderness, but certainly we're being led to a, a land flowing with milk and honey. But the danger comes in that we begin to say, well, you know, maybe we could follow after something else, and that would... Uh, do us better, or we begin to say, well, we're doing good now, so I can go ahead and press my own way and my own position. But of course, the people are one people before God, and everything we do and everything we try and pursue has to keep God at the forefront. We have to be following Jesus as closely as we can. We have to keep God before us if we want to get to that promised land. No matter what comes, we are one people before the living God, and we need to keep our eyes on God and on Jesus which the ancient peoples didn't always do. And we may not always do so well, but our heart has to be turned in that direction. And we, like those ancient peoples, can begin to think that if we put our hope and trust in other things, life may go better for us. I am reminded that we are in the midst of a political season, 
And it is a time when people can become very divided, pursuing their candidate and their way. And Christians aren't beyond that. I have seen many times that we want to place our hope in the government. We want to place our hope in a political figure, and I'm not speaking of one side or the other because those who lean left a few years ago were putting their hope in Barack Obama, and those who lean right in recent years may, uh, some of them be putting their hope in Donald Trump, but the problem is these are human beings and the only place we can put our hope is in the living God because no government or human being can change what is fundamentally wrong with us. Our brokenness, our salvation only comes in and through God and through it all we need to keep our eyes on the living God, not on a human being. And to bring that even closer to home, All of you know we have a general conference coming up in the spring, and I give thanks for this congregation that has decided that we're going to focus on Jesus and God's work and not be anxious and get in the politics of the church. Because an institution, a denomination, cannot save us. They cannot bring us healing and wholeness. Only the living God can bring us salvation. In fact, you know, some of you know that over the past two months, I have helped to lead uh, the district's charge conferences. And so I had an opportunity to be in conversation with all of the pastors in our district. And I cannot tell you how many churches are anxious, how many churches are already splitting and people are going to other places because all their focus is on the institution and the denomination and it doing what they think it should do and they're losing sight of Jesus Christ and the work of God and following God, which is what we are called to do as a people of God. The mission of God never goes away, no matter what institutions and human powers are doing. We are still called by Christ to follow in the world. You see, there is something to be said for remembering that we can be God's people and God has promised to be our God. If we try and rely on our own strength, if we try and rely on human leaders, if we try and rely on human institutions, we are going to be sadly disappointed and go down a path that doesn't lead to the fullness of life. We have to keep that hope of God in front of us. How many of you have actually seen the movie Unbroken? Some of you have seen the movie Unbroken, which is the story of Louis Zamperini. And Louis was a hard scrabble kid growing up who was bullied a lot and started to run. And his, he became a long distance runner. And in fact, he trained so hard that he made it to the Olympic Games against the odds. He was an Olympic athlete. And then along came World War II. And so he signed up, he flew missions in the Pacific Theater, and eventually was shot down. 
he and a couple of his crewmates ended up in a raft in the middle of the ocean with nothing and survived for 47 days collecting rainwater and, and eating raw fish. And finally, washing up on a shore, they were taken prisoner by the enemy and placed in a prisoner of war camp for two years. Now, Louis, having been an Olympic athlete, became the subject of abuse by that camp commander, doing everything that he could do to break Zamperini. And in the, in the great scene in the movie, Zamperini is told to hold this massive beam over his head, and if it drops, he's going to be beaten to pieces. And he continually finds the strength within himself, physically and mentally, to hold that beam up. The movie ends the story with him coming home having endured these great hardships. But that is not really the story of Louis Zamperini at all. Because when Louis came home, he had for so long been relying on his own strength and power to get him through, that he had faced bullies, that he had faced a vast ocean, that he had faced the enemy, and he had found the fortitude to survive. But when he got to the land of milk and honey, to the promised land, Louis fell apart. He began to have horrible nightmares. He began to drink and smoke heavily. He began to be verbally abusive to his wife and to others who loved him and broke relationships. Louis could not stand on his own strength. And one day in 1949, Louis ended up at a Billy Graham crusade, and he realized that the only power that could lead him to the fullness of life, that could give him the strength to face his life day in and day out was the living God, and he gave his life over to Jesus Christ. He quit drinking, he quit smoking, his nightmares went away. And he reconciled with all those he had hurt and spent the rest of his long life following Jesus day in and day out. He was proudest not of his accomplishments that he had done of his own will, but of what God had done in him and through him. You see, people of God, it's really easy for us to think of our own strength and what we can do. It's easy for us to want to chase after other gods that may be easier to see and to touch and maybe even to control, do what we want. But the way that actually leads to life and to life in its fullness is keeping God in front of us 
is following Jesus Christ as closely as we can. Without the living God, we find ourselves unstable and likely to fall. But when we are holding on to God, we are steady and we can continue to live as God would have us live. We have to choose where we will keep our eyes, whose commandments we will keep, whether we will follow Jesus. Because if we choose, if we choose to be God's people, then the promise is sure. As Jeremiah says, God tells us, I will be your God. Steady in God. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, Amen.